Two minutes, 45 seconds. The old jeep rattles slowly down the long, dusty road like a cheetah stalking its prey. A symphony of crickets fills the hot night air. A passing train whistles off in the distance. A pale sliver of moon, the only light for miles. Gripping the steering wheel is Stevie Rourke. His eyes gaze straight ahead. A former staff sergeant in the United States Marine Corps, he's 44 years old, six feet six inches tall, and 249 pounds of solid muscle. A man so loyal to his friends and family, he'd rush the gates of hell for them and wrestle the devil himself. Hank Rourke, trim and wiry, younger by only a few years, with a similar devotion but a far shorter fuse, is sitting shotgun and loading shells into one, too. We're less than 180 seconds out, Stevie says. Hank grunts in understanding. The two brothers ride in tense silence for the rest of the brief trip, no words needed. They've discussed their plan and know exactly what they're going to do. Confront the good-for-nothing son of a bitch who killed their 15-year-old nephew. Stevie and Hank both loved that boy, loved him as if he were their own son, and Alex loved them both back. Molly's worthless drunk of a husband had taken off when the boy was just a baby, but no one had shed any tears. Not then, not since. Molly reclaimed her maiden name for her and Alex. The whole Rourke family was already living together on their big family farm, and with no children of their own, Hank and Stevie stepped right up. The void left by one lousy father was filled by two incredible uncles, and Alex's life was all the better for it. Until today, when his life came to a heartbreaking end. Both brothers dropped everything as soon as Molly called them. They drove together straight to the high school, their truck rattling along at over a hundred miles per hour. They were hoping for the best, but had prepared themselves for the worst. The doctors and sheriff's department are treating Alex's death as an accident, at least for now. Just two kids being kids, messing with shit they shouldn't have been. But it was an accident that didn't have to happen, and somebody is going to pay. Their destination soon comes into sight, a cluster of low-slung wood and metal buildings that seem to shimmer in the still-scorching desert heat. Hank surveys the area with a pair of forest green binoculars. Don't see anyone on patrol. Maybe we can sneak up on them after all. Stevie shakes his head. That bastard knows we're coming. The jeep comes to a stop in front of a rusty padlocked gate on the perimeter of the property, dotted with dry shrubs and scraggly trees. At the end of a short driveway sits a tumble-down little shack. The man they've come for lives inside. Stuffing his Glock 19 into his belt behind his back, Stevie steps out of the jeep first, and the blistering desert air hits him like a semi. Instantly, he's flooded with memories of the nighttime covert ops he ran in Desert Storm. But that was a distant land, where more than two decades earlier he served with honor and distinction. Tonight, he's in Scurry County, Texas. He doesn't have an elite squad to back him up, only his jumpy little brother. And the stakes aren't just higher. They're personal. Lay a hand on my gate, Rourke. I'll blow it clean off. Old Abe McKinley is standing on his farmhouse porch, shakily aiming a giant wood-handled colt anaconda. With his wild mane of white hair and blackened teeth, he either looks awful for 75 or like total shit for 60. But Stevie doesn't scare easy or back down. 
I want to talk to you, Abe. Nothing more. Then tell your baby brother to be smart, put down his toy. If you tell your folks to do the same, Abe snorts. Not a chance. Stevie shrugs. Worth a try. Then at least tell him, he says, to quit pretending to hide. After a reluctant nod from the old man, Hank tosses his pump-action Remington back into the Jeep. Simultaneously, fourteen of McKinley's goons, hidden all around the compound, slowly step out of the shadows. Some were crouched behind bushes, others trees. A few were lying prone in the knee-high grass that covers most of McKinley's two dozen acres. Each man is wearing full hunting camo and a ski mask and clutching a semi-automatic weapon. Stevie was right. The bastard sure did know they'd be coming around here.